Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Warden. My guest today is Gaia Gaia. Gaia is the fifth generation of her family to work at the Gaia Estate in Barbaresco in Italy's Piemonte region. You are which generation? I'm the fifth one, together with my sister Rossana and with my brother Giovanni. I'm the older of the three. The, okay. And we work uh, all together. My brother started last year. So really? Yeah, all three together. So let's go back, let's wind back in, in time. When was the estate actually founded and by whom? Well, we are we, we are lucky to be the fifth generation because we have uh, four generations before us. That, that worked very very well. Giovanni was uh, the first one. Giovanni was uh, my great-great-grandfather and was a farmer living in the village of Barbaresco making wine for his tavern. So he was already a particular farmer. When, when, was he, when did he start then? Roughly? The winery was founded in 1859. That's when he started to produce wine. But um, at the time, a big part of, uh, of the wine was uh, sold in jars. He had a, a tavern. The tavern was the place where people were coming for... Uh, eating and drinking and sometimes they were bringing away uh, wine so that's how started the the, the, the commerce of, uh, of wine and uh, the, the, the the production of wine from uh, jars uh, but it was also one of the very first bottlers uh, as well because I have in my cellar several bottles that uh, that are uh, that they were bottled by him with no vintage sadly I, I can't really be uh, sure about which vintage was it because often he was blending vintages together so was just calling it a barbaresco reserva but he started. And then he had uh, eight son, uh, sons. Eight sons. Eight sons, yes. Same wife. <laughs> and uh, only one of his son, uh, sons uh, took over. And that was the second generation. Uh, his name was Angelo. And Angelo and uh, his very special wife, special because was a powerful lady, Clotilde Rey, together they represented the second generation. And they, they managed, they ran the winery from the 1910 and 1915 up to 1937 and then in 1937 uh, my grandfather came along and my grandfather I remember him I have a lot of memories of him he died in 2002 and he was uh, a very proud uh, very uh, accomplished man you could see it in his uh, in his eyes my grandfather had uh, one only mission in life uh, that was putting the tiny village of Barbaresco on the map he was a producer of Barbaresco he was the mayor of the village of Barbaresco he had an unbelievable fate on the fact that the best one in the world was Barbaresco and uh, and this uh, totally irrational fate uh, actually uh, I, I, I am grateful that he had an irrational fate because uh, in years of misery and tough time uh, he used uh, all the savings he had to try to buy uh, sites that uh, in the village he thought were the best so um, he didn't really uh, continue uh, the attitude of, uh, of his father of trying to have the best sites and uh, try to protect the dignity of his wine by, by not uh, releasing the wine when he thought that was not uh, qualitative enough. It's very uh, unusual the way he was behaving mm-hmm. because uh, in, in, during the war in the 40s, in the 50s, uh, every time uh, due to the climate, uh, due to the rain, uh, he was not achieving a, a perfect quality. He, he was not selling it. He was selling it to other producers. So in my region, uh, historically, all the most uh, respected producers were not producers of Barbaresco as we are. They were producers of Barolo. Barolo, mm, it's an area that is just 20 kilometers far away from Barbaresco. 
and it's an era that uh, because of some historic and also technical reason always made wines that they were more structured more ageable more uh, more complex and so the producers of Barbaresco regardless of how good you were trying were always considered the producer of a wine that was a lesser wine and my grandfather didn't accept that <laughs> and, um, and so he made the name for himself by uh, putting very rigid uh, parameters in, in the quality that he was trying to make and then um, my father came along my father finished the winemaking school in 1961 of the fact that the winery was successful uh, that the name was recognized that my grandfather was was able of uh, of selling his wine in the best places in uh, in, uh, in Italy despite that when my father came in he started to revolutionize the, the, the vineyard he started to uh, introduce a new technique uh, he started to replant uh, with a higher density of plants per hectare look for different grafting uh, introduce green harvest, short pruning. Uh, in the vineyard, he also started to experiment uh, because he's, he's very curious. He started to experiment with varieties never planted before in Piemonte. So he had uh, the ambition of trying to make uh, a great Chardonnay, a great Sauvignon Blanc, a great Cabernet. So we have uh, a single vineyard uh, Cabernet, which is called Armaggi. It's a tiny production respect to the 90% of what we produce at Nebbiolo. But it's a very important Cabernet. Why was at it least called Armaggi? It's called Armaggi. Armaggi uh, when, when I say Darmaggi, usually I, I, I remember this sound. I don't know if you hear it. No, it was, it's the sound of the head. Yeah, when you slap your head, when someone says something stupid, you put your, your, your palm <laughs> to your head and you go, oh, you idiot. You yes, cop, my it? grandfather was always looking at this vineyard and he was screaming, Darmaggi. That means what a shame that here in the best, one of the best sites we have, south facing in the center of the village of Barbaresco, you planted something that is not the best variety ever, Nebbiolo. But it's a very important, uh, has been a very important wine for us because it proved um, to many people that they were not so accustomed and so not so aware of the beauty and the qualities of Nebbiolo, they could understand more easily the quality that we were looking to produce, the ambition that we had, the terroir of our land through a variety that they could un- that they could understand. International varieties in Piemonte have not been as important as they have been for Toscana. Many producers planted uh, after us Cabernet or Merlot to blend with, uh, with Nebbiolo. We always keep it uh, on its own. Uh, see, uh, yeah, when only Cabernet, actually a bit of Cabernet Franc and Merlot, but it's a, um, it's a vineyard that uh, for me represents uh, the crazy, disruptive, uh, futuristic ideas that, uh, that I- my father had. Iconoclastic. Yeah. Yes, the attempt of uh, shaking uh, the, the industry of wine and trying to attract uh, also the attention to a region that was not uh, receiving enough of, uh, of attention. So um, 
he revolutionized our our pyramid of production. So my grandfather was making one wine, Barbaresco. My father was one of the very first producers uh, to introduce the concept of single vineyard. So today we make single vineyard Barbaresco as well. What are the names of those? Costa Rossi, sorry Tildin, sorry San Lorenzo. Sorry San Lorenzo was came out in 1967. So in the until the 60s you didn't have uh, producers uh, making the, the, the concept uh, in our area was which by the way is not wrong uh, the concept of uh, uh, finding a balance by uh, blending different sites uh, and having an ebbiolo coming from different uh, areas of Barbaresco to make a Barbaresco the concept of blending actually was so uh, explored that sometimes they were blending vintages uh, and not always uh, the wine was only made with nebbiolo so the purity purity uh, came uh, from 1967 from the moment that uh, the DOC was introduced and so became by law a necessity to have a wine uh, only made with Nebbiolo. Before, not not because people didn't care, but because uh, each producer had a bit of a, his own secret recipe that was including also a tiny bit of uh, local varieties, a tiny bit of Barbera, Dolcetto that were planted um, into the vineyard. But uh, my father, and at the time uh, he was was not the only one, uh, the, the, the very first producer that started to produce single vineyards was Bruno Giacosa with the uh, Falletto and then Prunotto, Renato Ratti, uh, my father, Vietti, started uh, a different way of uh, expressing uh, the wines. No? The, the concept of single vineyard started then uh, and today is very largely uh, um, applied by everyone and actually uh, the consortium now is uh, authorizing, uh, put on the map and authorized uh, the use of uh, menzioni geografiche aggiuntive which are basically the crews uh, name, of, sites. Uh, name sites. He has been a revolutionary um, even in the communication of the wines. He was uh, the first one to use uh, a dialect word on, on a label. Usually when you have to sell something you try to use a, a very, if not pompous, but anyway a very uh, sophisticated word. You call a wine a state of art, uh, Latache, Opus One. Uh, you don't use a humble language like, uh, like dialect. But uh, the first time that he that uh, a dialect word was used on the label was uh, with Sori San Lorenzo. So Sori, it's a dialect uh, word that my father wanted to use uh, to define a crew. So instead of using a French word crew, which by the way today you are not even allowed to use uh, uh, the name crew for for an Italian wine. But since the beginning uh, he started to use uh, uh, he looked in our vocabulary for uh, a word that could have the same meaning but uh, in in our language. So Sori represents for us uh, the top of the hill that looks the site. That's how we call uh, the top of the hills uh, uh, facing south. Sori comes from the word sole, soli, sori. But then he continues also, the, the, I ex- just explained before the name, uh, the name Darmaji. And he also has been very experimentative in the, in the winery. So he's not afraid uh, of uh, walking af- away from tradition and uh, questioning tradition uh, is just part of, I understood of, of who he is, uh, but not only questioning tradition, questioning everything and anyone, <laughs> and even himself. <laughs> so he introduced uh, new oak, he tried uh, with uh, smaller barrels, uh, he tried uh, 
with the different fermenters, uh, little by little with him, the wines, little by little they started to change and they started to resemble more uh, uh, himself. And, and I like that because when I drink the wines, I can, I can see my father in, in the wines I, I drink. Today, the wines, they also resemble a bit more me and my sister and my brother because uh, we are coming as a new generation, bringing our energy uh, to bring forward the many projects that my father has in his mind and that we uh, are happy to bring forward and also we bring our taste our style which in part is the style and the taste that, that we grow up with and so it's part of uh, who we are I think that the beauty of a family business is that is that uh, there can be a continuity you don't have a you have a continuity of an attitude of, a, of certain values that uh, you bring in your work and that you that they come from from the family you grow up uh, in but um, slightly bit the wines are changing because today we are more involved and we are doing the tastings and uh, we we implement our palate and our minds. So what are you changing in Piemonte? Is it in the vineyard or the winemaking, the oak treatment? No, we don't have to make uh, real big revolutions, uh, but our work is uh, like like probably your work, like every work, uh, is not only one thing. You have so many details uh, that you have to take care of. And so our job today is to reapproach every tiny detail and uh, reconsider it. So every little detail can become a major project, can be highly reapproached. And we reapproach it accordingly to how the world is changing. And especially today we are, you just have to look at the climate, how it's changing. So in a world that is changing, we have to change accordingly. We have to pay attention to different parameters respect to the past. For sure, in the past, in the vineyard, all the work was done in trying to achieve a full ripeness to, that was so complicated to achieve, to achieve a degree of alcohol uh, that was, you were trying to achieve not 12.5, but 13, 13.5 alcohol. Today, uh, all the vineyard, all the management of the soil of the canopy is reapproaching, trying to slow down the alcohol, uh, the, the, the sugar accumulation. It's, it's like uh, riding horses that uh, today you have to pull because they're going too fast. Great, so, great analogy. Yeah. So in terms of climate change, because you don't just have your, that's your family estate in uh, in Barbaresco. Mm-hmm. You also have, uh, the family also has an estate in... Um, in Toscana. Toscana. We have actually two estates. Yeah. One, uh, a small estate, are 27 hectares uh, in total, and is a little winery that we bought. So it was an existing winery with the existing vineyards. It's called Pieve Santa Restituta. And um, my uh, father uh, bought it in 1994 from a, a man that was retiring and that was uh, looking for someone that could continue uh, to carry his... Uh, his property. And this is in Montalcino. And that is in Montalcino. There are there are analogies between Nebbiolo and Sangiovese. Just the fact that you use one only variety that are very prestigious historic wines, uh, it's already enough to understand why from Barbaresco we moved to uh, to Montalcino. And then two years after, the family was growing. My my brother was born in '93, and so my father felt so optimistic and so excited about the future of Gaia. Now that there is a man that can mm-hmm. carry on. 
the name for other 10 generations. <laughs> I'm joking. But that's also why my name is Gaia Gaia. I was the firstborn and he was very concerned that I was never going to carry the name Gaia. So just uh, reinforcing it for him was, <laughs> was a way to solve the problem. But in 93, my brother was born. In 94, uh, we bought the Pieve Santa Restituta. And then in 96, uh, my father got excited about the idea of starting from zero completely a new project. This excited him because I think he was also in his 50s. So he, he was looking for a new challenge. Not that he didn't have enough, but he was looking to, uh, to learn and by, by, by starting from zero in doing things. Usually in Italy, it happens that you heritate uh, or that like happened to him or that you buy an existing uh, winery. But for him, Camarcanda was an opportunity to uh, design it uh, in every aspect since uh, Virgin Land. And so in the area of Bulgari, in an area totally different from Montalcino, totally different from, uh, from Piemonte, in an area that doesn't have the evocative allure of the traditionalist and the modernist and even the beauty of, of local varieties, uh, in an area that we can consider is the new world of Italy, he decided to start his, his new project. And so we bought uh, an important uh, piece of land because uh, we started from 80 hectares of, uh, of land that we bought in 1996. And uh, I'm lucky because he arrived uh, quite early was not was not uh, we are not pioneers uh, in in Bulgari actually we arrived in Bulgari because pioneers before us uh, gave us the confidence in in saying uh, this area is an area that has an incredible potential and can make beautiful uh, and ageable wines so with incredible respect for the great wineries like Sassicaia and uh, and Ornellai and Guadaltasso and uh, Grattamacco and Michele Satta and Le Macchiole we uh, decided to challenge ourselves with a, with a new project and so now we have three wineries. But next year, there's going to be a surprise because uh, always my father decided at the age of 79, decided to uh, start a new adventure in Sicily and on top of Etna, on the Vulcano. So we say that now on the Vulcano, there is another Vulcano. Mm. <laughs> and uh, together with uh, Alberto Gracci, which uh, I like very much uh, and that shares uh, with us and especially with my father uh, an attitude, uh, a pride and also a seriousness in, in uh, approaching work that uh, we, we like very much. Together with Alberto Gracci, we bought um, 30 hectares of uh, Carricante and a little bit of Narello Mascarese. We don't have yet a, a, a facility. We are working on building it. But next year we will come out with a, a little bit of wine from Etna too. Brilliant. It's so nice to have someone that speaks with such respect for the family traditions and love for the family traditions uh, and yes. speaks so clearly and um, you know your dad's obviously had a plan for everything he's done nothing was left to chance and uh, he's enjoyed enormous success and um, it looks like his legacy is in very good hands I obviously haven't met the rest of the family but um, <laughs> you spoke very eloquently and very clearly um, about your family it's, it's not that we always agree but for sure I have great respect for uh, for uh, all his uh, ideas and everything uh, he did and, and we continue that direction uh, sometimes with some uh, sometimes we also convince him uh, that our way is uh, can be uh, different from his but uh, but is it a little bit Fulbino a little bit he sort of it looks like he's agreed with you and then actually he, he hasn't agreed with you or is he like 
that or is he just like okay is he very black and white he's uh, no he's not black and white he's a tactician he's not black and white he's a tech- yes but um, I have to admit also that there is no black and white uh, and that there are always uh, different shades and there is never uh, something that is only positive. There is in the good and the bad in everything you, you do and it's nice uh, to have him uh, every day reminding us uh, and showing us that uh, there is something that you do that you think is 80% good but there is a 20% uh, bad effect and that you should uh, solve that problem. So he is uh, challenging but uh, very inspiring. That's a great note to leave things on. I want to say thanks to Guy Guy for coming in today to talk about the family winery or wineries in three of uh, the most prestigious regions of Italy. Uh, you've spoken incredibly eloquently about your family and um, we've all got a clear idea of, of the history of the estate and the impulses that have guided its success over the years. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Italian Wine Podcast. Our channels are SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify and Himalaya FM. We're also widely available on other podcast apps. Our official website is italianwinepodcast.com and that's all one word. If you're using iTunes, feel free to rate the podcast or write a review. Thanks. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. 